You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. The money was just burning a hole in Bill Belichick's pocket. He had to spend it, and as fast as possible. Opinionated. Of all the stopgap quarterbacks, Cam Newton was the best choice for the Patriots. Kudos to them getting it right. To the point. Sox will be better. They're still finishing in fourth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Thursday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You were just listening to Red Six, Red Six, Red Sox Baseball, who almost put up a six spot today. They ended up winning 5-1. to one. Good to see Xander Bogarts bust out of an 0-for-20 plus slump. Good to see Rafael Devers finally hit a fastball. Good to see Martin Perez be the first Red Sox pitcher pitch into the eighth inning this year. We've got all the highlights and all the takeaways coming up for you over the course of the next 84 minutes here as we go up until 7 o'clock right here on your home for Red Sox baseball, WDEV. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, is going to stop by with us in about nine minutes at 545. It'll be our final talk with Adam for the year. He's going to join us all Celtics season. Celtics done. Our last talk with Adam. We've enjoyed having him. So we're going to go out with a bang, though. A lot of stuff to discuss with him over yesterday's organizational restructuring. Again, if you want to get in, you can. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Your thoughts on the Seas, your thoughts on the Sox. we got some Patriots as well. Again, all the highlights, all the recap to come. And uh, let's get right to it, Intern Jack. Five, four, three, two, one. And... Here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. And it's online at sticksandstuff.com. Because Adam Kaufman is coming up with us at 545, I want to start the show with the Celtics. Again, we will have Red Sox takeaways from today's 5-1 win, salvaging the series in Houston at the top of the hour. I thought about the Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens restructuring now pretty nonstop for about the last 36 hours. And I think I've got a lot of angles to this down. There's one question for me, and I'll ask this of Adam. There's one question that I do not have the answer to yet that I want to have the answer to. Did Brad Stevens get a promotion into the front office because he's truly going to be good at the job Or did he simply get promoted because the Celtics didn't want him to be the head coach anymore and they didn't want to pay him the duration of his five-year contract remaining to just go away? Brad Stevens has five years left, as I understand it, on a contract extension that he signed in the bubble in 2020. He had five years left. Did the Celtics simply not want him to be the head coach but not want to pay him to go away so they had to find a place for him? Or do they really believe he's going to be good at taking over for Danny Ainge in the front office? I really hope that it's the latter. 
It better be the latter. It better be that they feel he is the appropriate heir to Danny Ainge in that position. The front office is not a giveaway position. The general manager, the director of basketball ops, these are not just symbolic figureheads. These are people that shape your organization, and those people need to be competent. I had somebody tell me yesterday, I think he's only there because they didn't want to pay him for the rest of the five years to go away. That better not be the case. The people in those power positions in your organization that make real decisions better be people who are competent because we see what happens to organizations when those people are incompetent. Bill O'Brien in Houston. We see what happens when you have incompetent people in power positions, bad things happen to your organizations. This Celtics team is still too good, too young, and should still be on the upswing enough that it's a job that needs to be done well quickly, not a job you just put somebody in and ah, we'll get rid of them in two years if we have to because it's less of a money pill to swallow. That better not be the answer. I believe that the Celtics value Brad Stevens. I believe they value his basketball acumen. I believe the person who told me that theory is wrong. I hope that they are and I hope that I am right. I hope that the Celtics, and I believe they truly value Brad Stevens' forward way of thinking. They value his ability to understand people, to connect with people, to relate to people, and his understanding and his knowledge of this team and this locker room as it's presently constructed. And Brad Stevens is still young. Brad Stevens is only 44 years old. In the front office world, he's still considered, I'm sure, very young. He's still innovative enough to learn and coachable and be moldable. I think Brad Stevens can do a lot of good things, and I think there's tremendous potential there. Yes, it could absolutely crash and burn, but as I said yesterday, young guy, smart guy, sees the long game, analytical guy who understands today's NBA and has Danny Ainge as a mentor, I think there's real potential for Brad Stevens to do well. And don't underestimate the importance of this, which I said yesterday on the show, and Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN echoed today. But I think the idea of having the continuity of Brad Stevens staying, and clearly he was ready to move on from coaching. And, and that was a big part of this, that he was ready at 44 years old to become a front office executive, leave behind uh, the only thing he's known in basketball, and that's being a coach. Continuity, as I said yesterday, is a huge deal. You're losing Danny Ainge, you're changing head coaches. That's two massive changes. But to keep Brad Stevens in the organization, I think, matters. Again, look no further than the New England Patriots down the street. Yes, that guy, Tom Brady, had a huge hand in their success. But Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, that trio that's been there for a long time absolutely matters in their success. The continuity of that organization has been one of the several reasons why they've been able to be good. It's one of several reasons why they've been able to be good. Continuity matters. For a long time, the New York Giants were great. They had continuity. The Pittsburgh Steelers have been really good for a long time. Why? Continuity. At this point, the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, continuity. The teams that are constantly changing, the Arizona Cardinals, the Cleveland Browns, they have been dumpster fires. But now, at least in Cleveland, with Kevin Stefanski, Maybe some continuity there, and 
will keep them on a good path. Continuity within an organization matters. Entropy and chaos hurts an organization, and the Celtics have introduced a lot of chaos in the last 36 hours. I do think it's smart to keep a piece of the stability there. Continuity, as Woj said, is a big deal. If you want to get in, 802-585-3026. Red Sox won their game today against the Astros to salvage the series. Again, we'll have the highlights for you and my takeaways. Intern Jack and I were watching it and talking about it. We'll have that for you at about 6.05. But when we come back, our guy, Celtics expert, he is, in my opinion, the foremost Celtics authority, Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. What does he think needs to be a trait or the traits of the Celtics next head coach? Adam Kaufman next right here on WDEV AM and FM. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, everybody. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We had Red Sox baseball before us, and all I can still think about right now is the Boston Celtics. So joining (laughs) us right now is our resident Celtics insider, Adam Coffin from WBZ News Radio in Boston. He's also the host of the Celtics Beat podcast, which I'm sure now has lighter fluid thrown on (laughs) it here for the coming episodes. So, Adam, what's up, man? How are you? Yeah, we haven't recorded the new one yet because I've been battling a bit of a head cold, so I'm trying to get my voice back. But uh, once we get going with it, there's no shortage of topics, that's for sure. So the thing I was just talking about, the thing I'm wondering, the one question I have right now, Brad Stevens gets promoted Mm -hmm. at a time when a lot of people think that he should have been fired. Is the promotion truly a promotion or is it a, we don't want you to be the head coach, but we don't want to eat the five years left on your salary? It's a good question. It's one that's certainly been floated around. I tweeted out yesterday, uh, you know, I I wonder, it's just, it's one of those like both can't be true situations. For instance, are the, the Celtics have long said that they consider him to be one of the best younger, he's not, you know, young, young per se, but younger head coaches in the entire NBA. So either that's true and Brad Stevens just didn't really want to coach anymore. He was burnt out from the bubble, as some have said. He uh, just the the grind that has been the last couple of years, kind of an emotional roller coaster as well. Never mind all the physical stuff. And he just he wanted a new challenge. So they were willing to move him into that role. So that's one situation. The other is they don't actually think he's a great head coach. Mm-hmm. And as you said, don't want to eat the last five, six years remaining on his salary. And it's hard to know which of those two things is in fact the truth. I think that, you know, we'll find out in time. And what I mean by that is if in, let's say, a year or two, an interesting coaching opportunity comes along that he is interested in, whether that be at the college ranks. I know people were quick to jump to the Duke situation, but that's not going to happen. Or maybe it's, I don't know, the Indiana Pacers or it's wherever. I mean, you name it. It's it's a it's a head coaching opportunity. Someone is is just eager to put Brad Stevens in that spot. He really wants to do it. He misses coaching, and and life hasn't been the same since. And the Celtics let him out of his contract to go do that. I think what that tells you is, yeah, they didn't think he was all that great a head coach uh, because otherwise they'd let him step right back down from the front office and take over coaching duties again and you know promote Mike Zarin or whomever it is into that, uh, that role as president of basketball operations. I just think this whole thing is – it's weird. You know, it's there's and that doesn't mean Brad Stevens can't do a great job in this capacity. Maybe he will. Like Danny Ainge 
had never done it before he did it. And I think most people would agree over the course of 18 years, he was very good and very successful. Yes, the one championship and got there a couple of times. But generally speaking, 15 playoff appearances, more playoff wins than any team in the entire NBA over the last decade plus. I mean, he did a very good job. But we don't know what to expect from Brad Stevens. And there's no question it's it's odd that there wouldn't be, even if he ultimately got the job, it's weird that there wouldn't be something of a search, whether that's trying to bring in uh, a Massachusetts native who is also very good at the job over there in Oklahoma City, Sam Presti, or, I mean, internally. Like, how does Mike Zarin feel about this? The fact that, you know, he has been the right-hand man to Danny Ainge all these years. It seemed like the, the most logical choice as a successor he doesn't get the job. Now there are reports the Celtics are looking to hire a general manager to work under Brad Stevens. So that's not Zarin either. He's the assistant GM. He doesn't get promoted. It's There There are a lot of questions that we don't have answers to. There are a lot of things that I think are, are still to come out details-wise that are going to be fascinating. Before we talk about specific names, trait-wise, what are you looking for in the next Celtics head coach? I, I Ideally... I would like to, and you know, like, what's my opinion worth, right? But I, I think these guys need one of two things: either someone who's who's been in the trenches, you know, someone who's done it, you know, a a Chauncey Billups, Juwan Howard, Sam Cassell type, you know, a guy who's won championships, who played in the league for a long time, who has a you know, I've been there and done it voice, who has also had some success in in other facets since playing, obviously, you know, we, we've seen Howard have some good success at Michigan, you know, Cassell has been a longtime assistant coach Billups, you know, he's always floated around, whether as an assistant, whether as a GM, he's, you know, a, a guy that obviously commands a lot of respect. And we're talking about, you know, a hall of fame guy as well. There are, you know, traits in that sense that I think would be very valuable. I, I wouldn't want a, a first-time head coach out of college, you know, like Brad was, and, and Brad has done a very good job. I just don't think these players on this roster need another guy like that. I, th- I think they need someone who's been there and done it. Now, this is where I talk out of both sides of my mouth. I think that they also, it, it, and sort of goes back to the larger point, they need someone who commands their respect. People have mentioned Carol Lawson, who was obviously an assistant on Brad's staff and has gone to, obviously, as we know, Duke to coach the women's team. Has only been there for a year, and I don't know that she'd even be looking to leave. But she absolutely has the respect of of most, if not all, the men in that room. And so that's, you know, it's another person that obviously comes to mind. But then you start to look at other internal voices. There's Jerome Allen, Scott Morrison, you know, Jay Laranega, who's often been a, a candidate and and a, a head coaching prospect in, in other places as well. So, you know, I think there are a lot of different directions you can go in. It's not going to be a, a Jason Kidd. It's not going to be a Mark Jackson. It's not going to be a, a Jay Wright. It's not going to be, you know, Coach Krzyzewski. It's not going to be um, John Calipari. Like there, you know, you you can quickly rule out who it's who it's not going to be and and then you know whittle it down to a a list of the possibilities i just think for me uh, i that's that's what i would be looking for but i i do think while not leaving it up to them you do need to involve jason tatum and Jalen brown provided they're not going anywhere and i don't think they are you need to involve them in that conversation a little bit you know don't again it, it's not their choice don't let them feel betrayed if you don't go with who they want you know, start the process, whittle it down, and then start to, when you get to your finalists, then start to involve them a little bit and say, what What are you looking for? Who do you like? Because 
unfortunately, that's just the way the world in today's NBA. And they are going to be playing for this individual. And you want to make sure that they want to be around and they're not a year or two from now demanding a trade out of here. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston with us here in the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Report came out earlier today. It's kind of like you've been talking about for months. The Celtics will take offers on Kemba Walker. They will solicit offers on Kemba Walker. However you spin it, they're looking at at moving Kemba. I understand it money-wise. I understand it availability-wise. But wouldn't you be selling awfully low on Kemba at this point? Like, What would you be getting back for a team we want to see in the championship mix next year? Sadly, I'm not sure you have an opportunity to sell high. You know, I mean, he even was asked after that final game that feels like an eternity ago at this point, um, you know, are are you going to be unable to play in back-to-backs for the rest of your career or even next season? He said, I don't know. I mean, I hope to be out there and my focus this offseason is to to get right, get healthy and be out there. But he can't answer that question. So, yeah, I mean, when Kemba's out there, has he, at least in the second half of the year, been a, a better player than not more often than not? Did he get you roughly 20 points a game? Sure. But at the same time, if you can only count on him to at best play in half your games and disrupting the continuity and the synergy and all of that when he is available versus when he's not available because you have two different lineups and two different strategies and and you can't just, you know, you don't you don't have a a natural fit at at point guard. Even he's not a true point guard when he's in there versus when he's not you know, it's, it's just all sorts of jumble that to me like that, that seems like a nightmare. And that's one of the things that I think is going to be really, really interesting about this dynamic of Brad going directly from being the head coach to being the guy who has the final say on those decisions. You know, nobody knows these players better yeah. in the sense of how they fit in and and how they are to coach and and what their value is to you know, at least the system they've played in the past doesn't mean going forward they're going to play the same system, obviously, with a new coach. But, you know, how he views these players is going to be different in all likelihood than how Danny Ainge viewed these players. So, okay, well, who do you want around versus right. who do you not want around? And, and, you know, Danny alluded to that in talking with NBC Sports Boston yesterday. He said, Brad didn't always agree with everything that we did. Now he's going to have a chance to, to do it his way. And he wasn't, you know... Uh, you know, like rude about it or anything. Yeah. Like, it was just a matter of fact, like two people of power are going to have two different opinions. And, you know, the one who ultimately had the final say had the final say, well, now the other guy's going to have the final say. And, you know, maybe he would want to trade a Jalen Brown for, for a, a Bradley Beal or Carl Anthony Towns. If you could get one of those, maybe Jalen Brown is, is untouchable. Marcus smart. You know, we know how, or at least we believe how highly Brad thinks of, of Marcus. Does, does Marcus, is, is that a guy that, that is, you know, an, an untouchable glue guy, or is he going to field offers on him or actively try to trade him and to go full circle with your question, Kemba, same kind of thing. Brad could not have possibly been more complimentary of Kemba Walker over the course of the season said for us to get where we need to go, where we want to go. Kemba's going to be the guy that gets us there because we need him to be healthy, which is why we have this plan to keep him healthy. Well, we're going to see. We're going to see just how true that is versus getting rid of Kemba and bringing in someone who at least has, you know, availability versus ability alone. In the past couple of years, we focused on being excited about draft picks. We focused on being excited about max contract availability. This year, we don't really have that. So is there anything this summer outside of training Kemba that we should be looking for? Someone in free agency that Adam Kaufman is targeting or covets? 
it's not a great free agent class. You know, for me, it just starts way before that. You know, it's it, what are you going to do with Kemba? Like you said, what are you going to do with smart? What are you going to do with Jalen? If we're presuming that Jason Tatum is the only true untouchable, uh, you know, are, are you going to try and unload some of the, the back half of the roster guys who just, you know, whether it's like the, you know, the Shemi Ojales and, and Grant Williams, like, I think the, the only younger guys on this team that we perceive to have any real promise and value are obviously Robert Williams. What are you going to do about his contract situation? You have Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard. They all shown showed flashes. A couple of those guys were rookies. Challenging situation. Uh, are you going to have to unload any of them with a Kemba Walker to get someone to take on his contract? So there are a lot of dominoes still to fall. Uh, you know, are you going to try and trade Tristan Thompson? Like no, this whole roster seemingly outside of Jason Tatum is is kind of up for grabs in a lot of ways. So Brad has some. Tough decisions to make. Obviously, the head coaching decision is is going to be right at the forefront. What kind of coach are you looking for and who is it going to be, as we talked about? And uh, figuring out the roster from there. And, and don't forget, too, there are still uh, a portion, what is it, $9, 10 $11 million of that trade player exception yeah. from Gordon Hayward and the Charlotte deal that's left over as well. So there are a lot of things. So it's, it's just going to be, we've been saying it, it feels like every year is like, this is the most fascinating Celtics offseason since <laughs> Well, this one truly is like this is the most interesting offseason for the Celtics that I, I don't even know when. I mean, it, it's been it's been years, you know, arguably since, you know, Brad was hired in some ways. So we'll see what ends up happening on a total supplementary point. When I hear that Brad Stevens is tired and worn down after eight years, I just think to myself, God, Bill Belichick is even more special by the day. Like sure. that was one of my thoughts that came to me yesterday when I heard that Brad was tired. Well, and he's a coach and GM as well, which is different in the NFL than it is obviously in in you know other sports. But that taking nothing away from it, like those those guys, Bill Belichick and, and others like him, and and there's no one quite like him. Lead a you know a twenty twenty four seven three sixty five existence, and it's yeah, it is. I mean, for anyone that that gripes about Bill Belichick ever, we are blessed as as Patriots fans <laughs> to have him here for as long as he wants to keep doing it. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, also the host of the Celtics Beat Podcast. Subscribe to it on Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Adam has been with us every single Thursday since like the middle of January. We've appreciated his time and his insight on all things New England sports, but on the Celtics specifically. So, uh, Adam, we are going to cut ties here because the Celtics season is over, but that does not mean we will stop calling you at some point in the next couple of months. So enjoy a little break from us and we'll catch up down the line. Thanks for everything. Something huge happens. I look forward to talking again. Absolutely. Adam Kaufman simply is uh, one of the best, one of my favorite. He is my favorite Celtics insider and one of my favorite New England insiders as a whole. We will have our Adam Kaufman takeaways coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. A slightly compressed show. Red Sox baseball went just a few minutes long, so uh, we are fitting everything in. Our Adam Kaufman takeaways. Intern Jack hard at work and cutting up the Adam Kaufman cuts, so we'll get to those at about 6.15. Red Sox baseball today. Sox salvage the Series against the Astros, winning game four by a score of 5-1. to one. I've got four big takeaways from today's win over the Astros. Those takeaways and the highlights are coming up next right here on your home for Red Sox baseball and the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and always streaming on the free WDEV radio app. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Adam Kaufman from WBZ News Radio in Boston for joining us. Also, the Celtics Beat Podcast. If you missed any of his interview or any of our exclusive interviews or full show content, you can always subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast channels, both on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And that's brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Red Sox beat the Astros today 5-1. Sox got some... Productive at-bats from Xander Bogarts, who had an RBI double, had another hit later in the game. Uh, Sox did get a great pitching performance from Martin Perez, who went seven and two-thirds innings today. We get to our takeaways and the highlights right now from the Sox, a 5-1 winner in Houston. Even though they did lose three of four in this series, they win the last one as they head to New York. And my number one takeaway from this is that Rafael Devers finally hit a fastball. Rafael Devers finally hit hit a fastball. He doubled in the second inning. Okay, Rafael Devers doubled in the second inning. And with that double, he saw 50 consecutive fastballs. 50 straight fastballs. Over the course of the last however many at-bats, he saw 50 consecutive fastballs. Finally, he hit one. He swings and drives this one to center field and deep. Back goes Straw, turns around. It's off the wall. It rolls away from him a long way. Devers to second. And he puts on the brakes. Thought he might have three there for a moment. And by the way, if you add in his second at-bat, he saw 56 straight fastballs before Jake Odorizzi finally threw him a 3-2 changeup that he walked on. Rafael Devers has struggled over the course of the last week, and he has struggled this whole season against fastballs. It's It's completely glaring how bad Rafael Devers has been against the fastball this year. And intern Jack and I were watching the game, and we're listening to the stats, and we're hearing Lou Merloni say, oh, my God, 50 consecutive fastballs? Is that right? And we're like, yeah, it is right. And then we did the deep dive on it. It's amazing. I read an article after Tuesday's game, so not factoring in yesterday and today. Going into Wednesday, Rafael Devers was hitting 159 against fastballs. 159. In at-bats that ended in a fastball, he struck out 52 of 107 at-bats. I mean, he's striking out. Every time a fastball is pitched, he's swinging and missing 40% of the time. This is un- Rafael Devers led the league in doubles a couple of years ago. Rafael Devers is near the top of the leaderboard in extra base hits this year. He's still an excellent hitter, but he can't hit fastballs in 2021. And the power numbers, the RBI numbers have covered up that fact. Like, that we haven't thought about it. I didn't even think about that until today. I'm like, hey, Devers is he's, he's hitting 290, he's hitting 280, he's hitting good this year. I didn't realize just how subpar and how awful he has been against fastballs. And what's even more surprising is that it wasn't always like this. Like, remember when Devers came up? The, the first play that made Devers famous, that put him on, on notice here around the league, the pinch hit home run in the ninth inning against Araldis Chapman at Yankee Stadium. It was 103 miles an hour. Devers takes it out to left center. So as a rookie, as a recent call-up, Rafael Devers turned around 103-mile-an-hour fastball and hit it out to the deepest part at Yankee Stadium. Going into 2019, when Devers completely tore apart the league and, again, led the league in doubles, I mean, he hit 308 against fastballs that year. So this is a new problem for Rafael Devers. This is a new hole in his swing. This is completely perplexing because he used to be able to hit fastballs. This year, he can't. He's hitting 362 against breaking balls and 485 against changeups, which is just absurd. 
In a league where almost nobody can hit, Devers has found a way to hit the balls that are moving like wiffle balls and can't hit the straight ones. The fact that he hit a fastball. Now, he walked after that double, then he struck out. I mean, he wasn't great today against the fastball, but he at least finally got the, you know, off the schneid a bit. And Lou Merloni, who was on the broadcast today, was on the pregame show earlier today on WDEV and was talking about Devers' problems against the heater. So when you know dead red's coming, yeah, you, you just you want to try to hit it 500 feet. Like you know it's coming, so you sort of you gear up even more. And unfortunately, it's the wrong approach. And we were talking the other day. You know, you get to, they're pumping them fastballs, and not even inner half. I mean, they're throwing them outer half. So it's just inviting you to get out of it. It's just inviting you to do what you need to do to get out of this, and that is hit the ball the other way. Mm. You know, shorten up a little bit. Get on top of that baseball. Drive the ball out of the ballpark to left field. Hit the gap in left center. But the more you know it's coming, the more you want to get pull happy with it. And because of that, the longer you get. So this is just an approach thing. Yeah, and and intern Jack tells me Devers leads the league in extra base hits and doubles. He's got the highest percentage of his hits being extra base hits in the league ahead of Shohei Otani and Nick Castellanos of the Reds. It's fascinating that he can be that productive without being able to hit the fastball this year. Rafael Devers is going to need to, as Lou said, have a different approach, take the ball the other way, shorten up, do what he does best. Rafael Devers is a good hitter who's at his best when he is using all Fields. You can't have holes in your swing at the major league level, and you really can't have that hole be a fastball because they're going to go to New York, and rumor has it Michael King's pitching tomorrow. The, the broadcast today said to be determined, so we'll see what happens. But Yankees got some guys, especially in that pen, that can throw it. Late in the game, they're going to need Devers to be able to catch up to the heat. By the way, speaking of guys who have been struggling, good to see Xander Bogarts get going. Seventh inning, he had a two-run double. That's his 15th double of the year, and that helped lead to big separation, big insurance runs there for the Red Sox. So Bogarts was in a previous 0-for-24 before he did this. Swing and a smash down the left field line. If fair, it's extra bases. It is. It was around the corner, Lou. It's a double for Bogarts. Two runs score, and it's 5 nothing Red Sox. Well, Those, again, couple- big separating runs, big insurance runs. Sox ultimately win it 5-1. Bogarts, yeah, was 0 for his last 24 going into that one. Takeaway number two, I got to say this. This ultimately doesn't matter that much, given the fact that the Red Sox won, but I absolutely hated the play call the Red Sox employed at the end of the second inning. So let me give you a little... Um, Background here. Red Sox were up three to nothing. They had runners at first and third with two outs. Christian Arroyo was this was in the third inning, rather. Christian Arroyo was up. Jake Odorizzi was still on the mound, but he was on fumes here. With first and third, two outs, and Arroyo up. The Red Sox tried a a, a steal play where Hunter Renfro took off, kind of stopped halfway. They played on Renfro a bit, and then Devers broke for home and ultimately got thrown out. Here's how it sounded. I hated this play call. Rizzi throws, and Christian takes a fastball high. Breaking from first is Renfro. They got the play on. Devers comes home. Head first slide, and he is tagged out at home. That was really close. You wonder where that was by design in an 0-2 count. It was close, and I'm sure it was by design, in part because it was an 0-2 count, as they just told you there, as Will Fleming just said. But I hated that play call, and let me tell you why. The Red Sox ran themselves out of an inning unnecessarily as far as I'm concerned. Arroyo was up. 
He'd already homered on the day. He had taken Odorizzi deep for a three-run shot earlier in the game. Odorizzi was also already over 70 pitches. He's fresh off the injured list. Had only made one start since coming back off the injured list. So you have a guy who's laboring more than 70 pitches in not even three innings, who's gassed, who hasn't pitched that much recently, a guy who's just taken him deep. At that point, by putting on the play, you let Jake Odorizzi off the hook. You let him off the hook. You bailed him out. I can tell you as a pitcher, when you are struggling and you feel like the pitch count is being run high and nothing's going right for you, I am begging you to do something to bail me out. Run yourself out of the inning. Let me throw. Let me pick you off. Do something stupid on the bases to pick me up because right now I can't pick myself up. Jake Odorizzi could not pick himself up in that situation and – the Red Sox went and picked him up, and I, I just, I did not like that. I did not like that at all. Arro- I get it, 0-2 count, but Arroyo had taken him deep. Odorizzi laboring, and Odorizzi didn't have great stuff. I, I am not a Jake Odorizzi fan. We were talking in the off season about whether or not the Sox should go after him, and my prevailing thought was, well, was of course they should not go after him. He's a relatively soft-tossing righty for today's game. Throws a lot of off-speed pitches. Is always hurt. We had Phil Mackey on from Score North in Minneapolis, I remember, in about January, who just watched Odorizzi pitch for a couple of years, and he said, if I'm the Red Sox, I advise you to not go get Odorizzi. And luckily for them, they didn't. And then lucky for them today, they faced him and beat him. Takeaway number three in this one is simply Martin Perez was awesome. Martin Perez went seven and two-thirds innings. He should have been left in in the eighth. They had two men on in the eighth, and they didn't let Perez finish it. He threw less than 90 pitches in today's game. My big takeaway on Perez is he is being everything that we think Eduardo Rodriguez should be right now. Efficient, a strike thrower. Perez, I give him credit, he throws a lot harder as a Red Sox player than I expected him to when he got signed here last year. I think of Martin Perez, I think 90-91, slopper. He's 94 in on the hands with purpose today. He's got the ability to throw harder than I gave him credit for when they first signed him. He's got the ability to pitch inside and pitch with purpose. In his last seven starts, Martin Perez has a 198 ERA and a 105 whip. He's gone five and two thirds, five and two thirds, five, six, six, five, seven and two thirds. He's given them some length in the rotation. Today he was the stopper who went, you know, the team's lost three straight. He was the stopper. He's been everything that Eduardo Rodriguez should be. 94 in on the hands, used both sides of the plate, decent changeup, struck out. I think it was Bregman on a curveball. That he doesn't, maybe it was Altuve that he doesn't throw very often, but threw a great curveball to freeze him. Martin Perez was excellent today, and the Red Sox got a much-needed win as they had to New York tomorrow. Weird to say it, first time we're going to see the Yankees, and it's going to be June 4th. As we look at the standings right now, the Red Sox are two games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, and they're two and a half ahead of the Yankees heading into the weekend series. All right, we spoke to Adam Kaufman of WBZ News Radio in Boston a little while ago, and uh, he's not convinced that Brad Stevens is done coaching. If in, let's say, a year or two, an interesting coaching opportunity comes along, 
that he is interested in, whether that be at the college ranks. I know people were quick to jump to the Duke situation, but that's not going to happen. Or maybe it's, I don't know, the Indiana Pacers or it's wherever. I mean, you name it. It's it's a it's a head coaching opportunity. Someone is 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 just eager to put Brad Stevens in that spot. He really wants to do it. He misses coaching and, and life hasn't been the same since. And the Celtics let him out of his contract to go do that. I think what that tells you is, yeah, they didn't think he was all that great a head coach. Wick Grosbeck is the owner of the Celtics. He is presently on NBC Sports Boston, and I look at the the clip on Twitter, and he says that Brad Stevens is not only in to being in the front office, he's all in. I believe that. I think that Brad Stevens is worn down. I think Brad Stevens is ready for a new challenge, and I think Brad Stevens can be good at this. That said, anytime somebody is out of coaching, you always wonder if they're going to come back. John Gruden had the itch to come back. Bill Cower, we wondered if he would have the itch to come back. Alex Cora had the itch to come back. A.J. Hinch wanted to come back. When people get out of co- – Pat Riley, like Phil Jackson, when people step out of coaching, especially when they've been successful or feel, feel unfulfilled, which I'm sure Brad Stevens does in a way, I think it's absolutely plausible that Brad Stevens comes back. I don't think it's going to be after a year. It might be after four or five years. I don't know if it'll be the NBA. I don't know if it'll be college. I believe that Brad Stevens is fully invested in this job. He has a five-year contract remaining with the Celtics. I think the C's give him two for sure to see if he can do the job. And then beyond that, maybe they could make a move. But I don't think Stevens leaves until maybe the end of that contract or maybe with one year left. I I think he could get the itch. He won't even be 50 by the time this is up, but I don't think it's going to come all that soon. It's a Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. All right. They really said that? That's the issue for me, is that he is limited physically in a vacuum. Cam Newton's shoulder is what it is. His body is what it is. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Former NBA player Jay Williams, ESPN radio host, talking about the Celtics head coaching opening, something we talked about yesterday. The idea that the Celtics could hire a woman to be the first female head coach in NBA history. The idea that they could hire Carol Lawson, who was on their staff during last season. Jay Williams on Carol Lawson's potential hiring. But understanding that, hey, there were some issues racially that were happening in Boston, right? The history of that. Like, what a statement would it be it was bad for the timing. Boston Celtics to hire the first women head coach of the NBA? And then also to add to that, she's qualified now. But a woman of color to be the first head coach of the Boston Celtics? What a grand statement that would be. Jay Williams is right. Hiring Kara Lawson, a woman of color, would absolutely be a huge statement. And I said yesterday, it would bring good PR to both the organization and the city. But, but, that cannot be the reason that Kara Lawson is hired. Kara Lawson cannot be hired solely because she's a woman. She cannot be hired solely because she's a person of color. And she can't be hired solely because the organization or the city need good PR. Do not make Kara Lawson or any other woman and or person of color a charity case here. Kara Lawson should get a seat at the table. She should get in the door 
because she's qualified for the job, has played at a high level in the NBA more than or in the WNBA rather as a decade long player, played at an incredibly uh, reputable college program at the University of Tennessee under Pat Summit. So she should get a seat at the table because she has coached in the NBA already and coached these players and has their respect, as Adam Kaufman told you today and Brian Scalabrini said yesterday that we played. She should get a seat at the table because of her own career and her own success and because of her basketball acumen. That gets her a seat at the table. If you happen to hire her because she is the best choice for the organization, then yes, the fact that she's a woman and a person of color will ultimately bring about good PR. But do not make her a charity case. Do not give her a job because you want press clippings. Do not belittle her in that way. Give her the job because she's qualified for it. Now, again, I am not an expert on all of these coaching candidates. Kendrick Perkins says, how about Sam Cassell? Adam Kaufman drops five or six names that are out there. Scal says, I think they're going to hire Carol Lawson. I don't know who knows basketball more, who's better in the room. All I can say is that if Carol Lawson gets it, make it because she earned it, not because you're making it a publicity thing. She should get it on her own acumen, of which, from all we hear, she has plenty of. She has plenty of her own acumen. Because she's going to be, if she gets this job, she's going to be a pioneer. Think about how difficult this job will be. Imagine the jeers for her and the organization at the first three-game losing streak. It will happen. The haters will come out if the team is struggling. You want to make sure you hired her because you are firmly behind her and not just what her hiring can do for you. That would be the wrong reason. If she is the most qualified person for the job and the players are okay with it and they're going to respect her and treat her the way a head coach deserves to be treated, I am all for it. But don't just do it for their press clippings. That's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, we get a text in, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. Do I feel the NFL had a fair incentive of an extra draft pick for the hiring a GM or for hiring a GM of color? So basically, do we want to incentivize hiring people of color? Um not in that way, I don't. Um, and I have to go back and look at the way the NFL was proposing it because it didn't actually make it through. But the NFL, as I believe it was proposing it, as I understand it, was you'd even get credit for, you'd get stuff, get incentives for um, seriously interviewing minorities. And then it becomes a dog and pony show where you're looking to get something out of it. So I, I'd have to go back and look at fully at what the NFL was proposing, but... If Kara Lawson gets it, it should be, and I think it will be because she's the most qualified person for the job. The supplemental positive press that comes, that's exactly what it is. Supplemental positive press. It should not be and cannot be a driving force in this hiring. All right, when we come back, the Patriots are fully into the offseason program. The Mac Jones hype is already out of control. The train has left the station. I will tell you what my takeaways are from what people are saying about the Pats and the OTAs. That comes up next on the Ready Farkas Show on WDEV.
Hi, this is Evan Hallstrom. I race super late models with the Pro All-Star Series. You can follow me throughout the summer racing up and down the East Coast. I've always loved auto racing. Not only do I drive the car, but I build it with my dad. We're a small family run team that has a lot of fun. I'm proud of the work that I do with the Governor's Highway Safety Program and the Vermont Highway Safety Alliance. Remember, click it or ticket. Follow me on my Facebook page at Evan Hallstrom Racing and Twitter at EvanHMS1 or my website at EvanHallstromRacing.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Brady Farkas Show, welcome back in. WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. So intern Jack and I did a little more research uh, to remind ourselves of things in the commercial break there. So the rule that was passed in 2020 in the NFL was that if a team developed a minority coaching candidate or a GM candidate that was hired away from them, that team would then get compensatory draft picks. So the team that made the hire did not get rewarded. The team that lost the hire got rewarded for developing a minority coach. So I am okay with that. When it first came about, though, when the first got mentioned last year, we were starting to wonder, okay, did the team that hired the person away have to give a draft pick to the team that was losing somebody in which that would actually de-incentivize hiring a minority coach because they didn't want to lose draft picks? But as this is, I actually am not only okay with this, I'm I'm more than okay with this. So uh, you get rewarded for developing your coaches if they are a, a minority candidate. That's what they do in the NFL. Speaking of the NFL, Patriots are in full swing at OTAs, and a couple of comments are coming out from Patriots OTAs. Our guy Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston was talking on the Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast about Mac Jones and what he's seen thus far. But he puts it right on the guy's face, and he leads the guy by a half a step if he's headed in a certain direction, if he's on the move. thought he threw with anticipation mm-hmm. maybe better than any of the other three quarterbacks. So that was from a couple of days ago. There have been more workouts since that, but the reports remain the same on Mac Jones, that he's been good at anticipating, he puts the ball where it's supposed to go, and he's poised. Everybody, let's remember it is June 3rd. Let's stop the hype train on Mac Jones right now. It's the offseason. Freddie Coleman told us yesterday that everything is kittens and sunshine in the offseason. I'm happy to see Mac Jones looking good, but let's pump the brakes for now. I think that Mac Jones will be good in this offense. I like hearing the stuff about anticipation because that's incredibly important. It's one of the most important traits a quarterback can have in the modern NFL is being able to see a target before he's actually open. But it's June 3rd. We're passing against air. You're not playing against other teams. Some of your players aren't even there right now. It's good development. These are teaching camps. It's good development. How will it translate to the preseason? How will it translate to the first game action? That is what matters. There have been a lot of players that have lit up spring training and never made it. There have been a lot of players that have lit up the NFL preseason, have never made it. There's been a lot of people that have rolled, you know, turned heads in mini camps and have never made it. I think Mac Jones will be good, but let's not anoint him the starting quarterback just yet. Okay, let's not anoint Mac Jones the starting quarterback right now. Daniel Jones struggled mightily in his rookie year after a great preseason. Two of the reports were great, and he struggled to the point where he was benched last year a couple of times for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, Baker Mayfield struggled 
not only in his rookie year, but it was actually decent in his rookie year, really struggled in his second year. So young quarterbacks struggle. Young quarterbacks take time to get acclimated. What this is is a glorified practice, and I am happy that Mac Jones is doing well. But let's not read too much into it other than he has the traits they thought he had when he draft, when they drafted him. It does not mean that he should be the starting quarterback in week one. I will say this, though. Well, I'm not ready to overreact to the Mac Jones hype. I do have a reactive worry to something that Phil Perry said about Cam Newton's performance at OTAs. And so we saw him early in the practice working on not tilting his shoulders as he's about to release. We saw him miss high on occasion. We saw him miss low on occasion. He's just, he's a little more scattershot. That's always who he's been. It's always who he will be. The question for Bill Belichick is how much of that is he going to be willing to put up with? I love Cam. I think the team can be good with Cam. I'm good with Cam starting the entire season and leading this team to the playoffs. But what Phil Perry says there has me a little bit worried. It's the one concern I have about Cam right now. Phil says basically he's working on his mechanics. He missed high a little bit. He missed low a little bit. He's working on his mechanics. Cam Newton is clearly in a battle with himself. And it's hard to play when you're doing that. Okay, It's clear and evident that Cam Newton's working on his mechanics. Phil told you that. Patriots players have told you that. Cam told you that he would do that. But if you're working on your mechanics and you're thinking about your mechanics, at some point, it's hard to play loose and play free. We saw at times last year Cam play methodic and robotic. Okay, Think about what Cam's thinking about last year. Okay, The offense, i got to know this, i got to know that. This guy goes here, this guy goes there, the protection goes here. Cam's already inundated with mind clutter. Then he's thinking about his mechanics as well. Where is there the ability to and the freedom to just play? It's not there. It didn't exist last season. The goal this year is that Cam Newton would come in with such a better understanding of the offense that that would declutter his mind. His mind would be able to be instinctual. And I thought that with that, Cam would come out and play a lot more free, a lot more loose, and look like a watered-down version, but still a version of Carolina Cam. If you're telling me now that Cam is thinking about his mechanics actively as he's throwing, even against air, it tells me his mind is still a little bit cluttered, and that is not a position that you can be in. For players to succeed, they need to believe in what they're doing, have confidence, and play in rhythm. And if Cam Newton is actively thinking about his mechanics, and okay, all right, I need to take this drop and this many steps and cross over this way and don't tilt my shoulders and now I'm going to look off this guy, you're not playing free. There's a reason why... People don't all have the same mechanics, okay? I remember trying to, when I first got into coaching, and I'm talking about maybe 14 or 15-year-old baseball, and I wanted to change the way a guy threw or change the way a guy hit. And I was talking to one of my mentors about it, and they said, Brady, you don't have to have perfect mechanics. You have to believe in what you're doing. A lot of times, that takes care of a lot of things. You would never teach anybody to hit like Ichiro hit. You would never teach anybody to throw, you know, with the short arm motion that a Zach Britton had. Like, you would never teach that to somebody. It's not textbook. But belief, 
has gotten these guys that these guys that far and they're that good that they can overcome poor mechanics at times. Cam last year was not good enough to overcome poor mechanics and all the other clutter he had in his mind. I get that. He did need to work on his mechanics, but if he's still here actively practicing and actively thinking about it, that just leads to a level of clutter that I'm not really comfortable with. He's still got time. We're a month and change away from training camp. We're two months away from preseason games. But this feels like a battle that Cam Newton is having against himself, and that is not a fun place to be in. Last thing, Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. His last takeaway from training camp, or from minicamp rather, is that Nikhil Harry, not looking all that great. He and Tom Curran both thinking that. He's just not a smooth mover. It's just not getting better. Phil, what what did you see? Yeah, I just was trying to think back, and this is, you know, this is teaching camp. It's also known as passing camp. And when you can point to a Nelson Aguilar catch deep down the field, and maybe a couple of catches on air, Kendrick Bourne had a nice one up the seam, Jacoby Myers had a nice one up the seam. But, but when the receivers don't really show you anything in almost a full practice, it feels like a little bit of a concern to me. This is my last chance with Nikhil Harry. This is my last chance with Nikhil Harry. They're not in a position to just out-and-out cut him, okay? And I said I believe that the Patriots were right to want to keep him around. Unless they got some kind of great return at the draft, I think they were smart to keep him around. And they did. They're giving him another chance. I applaud that. But I am on my last legs with Nikhil Harry. They didn't get Julio Jones. They haven't drafted enough wide receivers, so they aren't in a position to just give him away. But the clock is ticking. They've got Jacoby Myers. They've got Kendrick Bourne. They've got Nelson Aguilar. They've got Jonu Smith. They've got Hunter Henry. They've got several pass catchers. If Harry doesn't show something here, he may find himself on the outs. This team needs to get some kind of productivity out of him. He has not lived up to the hype. He has not lived up to... Um, Let's see, he has not lived up to his draft status. And remember back in, let me see, it was back in November, we had Field Yates of ESPN on November 30th. And Field said his draft pick status, Nikhil Harry, shouldn't be the thing that keeps him on the roster. This was Field back November 30th. But I think the most important thing that people will have to do within the Patriots organization is distance themselves from the fact he was a first-round pick. I don't mean to ignore the fact that you use a first-round pick on him, but, like, you can't jam a guy uh, into a role just because he was a first-round pick, right? The Patriots are really good about not doing that. But, um, you know, if he's not good enough to play, don't play him just because you used the 30-second pick in the draft on him. He needs to show something. Nikhil Harry needs to show something. Now would be a good time. Training camp would be a great time, and the preseason will be a necessary time. I don't think he's a guarantee to make this team. Aguilar's a guarantee. Bourne's a guarantee. Myers is a guarantee. Gunnar Olszewski and Matthew Slater are guarantees. Even though Slater doesn't ever play receiver, he's listed as that. So you've got, really, Myers, Aguilar, Bourne, Olszewski. Those four are guarantees. Harry and Trey Nixon, the kid they took in the seventh round out of Central Florida or whatever, they'll be battling for a spot. So, I mean, I would say the roster spot is still his for the taking, but he better do something here to justify his spot on the roster. 
30-26. Uh, we get a text in. What about the Bruins? What about the Boston Bruins? They're in game three tonight against the New York Islanders. Okay, Kevin Miller's not going to play. UVM product is not going to be ready for this game or game four. That comes from head coach Bruce Cassidy. The Bees need to stay out of the penalty box and uh, because they gave up two power play goals the other night. I think that Pasternak, Marshawn, Bergeron obviously had a great game the other day. I think that they still, you know, they got a great goal from Charlie Coyle uh, the other night as well. I think that was in game two also. So somebody else is going to need to step up. Maybe it's DeBrusque. Maybe it's Coyle. They're going to need to do something there, uh, you know, beyond just the top line. Goaltending with Tuka Rask. He's been good, not perfect. He's been good. It's a little banged up, so the defense going to have to pick him up a little bit too. Bees are going to need to stay out of the box. With Tuka not 100%, they'll need to stay out of the box. And there you go, unnamed texture. There's your Bruins update, game three, coming up today. And again, Nikhil Harry needs to show something. All right, last segment of the show, coming up next. These people keep overestimating how much the fan cares. Let me repeat. These people keep overestimating how much the fans care. I don't think the fans care as much as network television thinks we do. I'll tell you what they don't care about. Coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Final segment here on this Thursday, Brady Parker Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, if you miss any of the show or any of our exclusive content, you can always subscribe. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, the Brady Parker Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We've got a couple of exclusive web-only things dropping tomorrow, and I'm very, very excited for tomorrow's uh, Friday Diamond discussion. Speaking of the Diamond, Red Sox win today, salvage the series with the Astros winning game four, but they lost the previous three, so uh, Sox... Losing there, three of four, and uh, remaining two back of the Tampa Bay Rays. Got a couple of texts in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. The same person who tells me to talk about the Bruins says, Brady, I hope you stick around for a while. So I hope that means that uh, you like the show and like the work that we do. So appreciate you guys who hang out with us here. I want to say this. I love football, okay? A lot of people love football. Football is by far the most popular sport in America, and I talk about a lot of football. What I talk about, though, specifically is NFL football, okay? Because you guys have an appetite for NFL football most of the time when it's not a Bruins playoff day, game three. Most of you have an appetite for NFL football. I don't talk college. I don't talk XFL. I don't talk about the former World League or the Arena League. And I'm certainly not going to talk about the USFL. Intern Jack is far too young to have ever seen the USFL. I am too young to have seen the USFL. If you grew up in the 80s, the USFL, you know what it is. United States Football League. It was popular. It was successful. It challenged the NFL on a lot of levels. And then it went away. Okay? And it got... And a bunch of players went from the USFL to the NFL. Well, today, they announced the USFL is coming back. And... My guy, Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback, used to play in the USFL. He helped make the announcement that the USFL was coming back. The USFL is back. See you in 2022. It's football. It is real football. It's it's pro football at the highest level. It's just being played in the spring. 
when I go back to our days of the USFL, that's what it was. We had Reggie White. We had Jim Kelly. We had Steve Young. We had Herschel Walker. We had name after name. We had 15 guys that played in the USFL that played in the NFL Pro Bowl the following year. So there you go. Flutie with the announcement on the USFL, how good it once was. I got to say, I could not care a lick about this. And I bet most of you don't either. 802-585-3026. This will be the only time I talk about the USFL. I got to say, I am tired of network executives and leagues popping up and telling us that we need more football. We don't need more football. We need good football. Okay? And there is a difference there. There's a reason why I only talk about the NFL, because it's the best football. I will say this. I'm all for the Spring League, the USFL, the XFL. I'm all for them existing because of the opportunities it would give to players that don't make NFL rosters, officials that want to grow, and coaching candidates and coordinators that want to grow. I'm all for treating it like it's minor league sports. But I am not going to watch it. And I think this idea that these network executives have, that the USFL has partnered with Fox, and they're going to play in the spring, I'm not going to watch it. I just don't care. I want to watch teams that I've heard of from from you know players that I've heard of, rather, with teams wearing colors and jerseys that I've known have been around for a long time. I'm not into this. Are you? Intern Jack, just nod your head. Do you care about the USFL? Not a lick. You care about the Patriots. That's who I care about. Okay? I don't talk about the MAC in college football. I barely talk about college football at all until draft season. That's it. The league can exist, it should exist, as a developmental spot for coaches, players, executives, and officials. It absolutely should. But this idea that it needs to be on network television and be on every single weekend for us, I don't buy that. I, gambling will keep this thing afloat because people have another thing to gamble on. So gambling will help these kind of initiatives. But ultimately, I don't think these things last because people want to watch good football. They're not watching the Arena League. I don't think they would have watched the XFL. You know, if the XFL was doing well and then the pandemic hit and they had to fold, I don't know how long that would have lasted. People think we just want more, 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 more football. No, we want good football. There's a lot of people that aren't even in favor of adding a 17th game to the schedule. I am one of those people. Why? Because it will lead to more injuries and more bad football. I don't even want an extra game on the NFL schedule. Why on earth would I want an extra spring season of players we've never heard of, players we haven't watched, and players who are playing at D2 schools, the University of Tulsa, and, you know, Savannah State? I'm not interested. Good football, good. More football, not always good. All right, I want to end the show on this. Red Sox beat the Astros 5-1 to one today. They lose 3-4. of four. My biggest takeaway of this series is not really anything about the Red Sox. It was a disappointing three games. I, I think the Red Sox are not as good as their April indicated. They're not quite as bad as the first three games of this series indicated. My biggest takeaway is not really about them. My biggest takeaway is about the Astros. The Astros are stacked. 
The Astros are very, very good. And because of that, it frustrates me even more that they had to cheat in 2017. It frustrates me even more they had to cheat in 2017. You look at what this team has. Altuve, excellent still, without cheating. Didn't need it. Bregman, excellent still, without cheating. Didn't need it. Yuli Gurriel, very good. Didn't need to cheat. They didn't need to do that. They're still great. The farm system, still great. Still a great pipeline to the major leagues. They were too good to have to do that. My big, I was watching this, I watched every game of this series, and I thought to myself, if Jose Altuve can lead off, you know, can have home runs in back-to-back games and lead off on Tuesday night with a home run, he didn't need a banging trash can. The organization was generally too well run, and the farm system was generally so good, and the players that matriculated to the major leagues were so good, they didn't need to do it. And it always frustrates me when people who are good at something and maybe the best at something, feel like they also need to go the extra mile. Because the Houston Astros should be remembered as a team that has generational talent and excellent players and mastered the draft and mastered you know, organizational rebuilds. And instead, they're going to be remembered as a team that cheated. And that's unfortunate. They didn't need to. All right, that's our show for today. Thanks to Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, for stopping by. Intern Jack, a huge part in getting the show ready today, as every day uh, he does when he is here. Tomorrow we got a huge show, our diamond discussion with Nathan Rohde of the Prep Baseball uh, Report, who will tell us about the draftability of Owen Kellington of U32. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson next on DEB.